I had a dream several months ago. I already told you about this dream, but I'm going to tell it to you all over again. I guess it made a big impact on me. So I was getting ready for surgery, and the medical staff was talking about the possibility of doing cosmetic surgery on my lips. And I asked, how long would that take to heal because I had to preach? And that was the first they knew that I was a follower of Jesus. And then in the conversation about the surgical procedure, they said, well, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this other thing. What do you want, they asked me. And I said with no hesitation, a visitation of my Lord. And then I immediately woke up. Now, where, where did that answer come out of? I knew they were asking me about surgical outcomes but I answered the question of what do you want with what I really, really wanted, my number one top on my list of desires and even of needs. And I ask for God's presence a lot, probably daily. It's one of my main prayers for myself and for others. And sometimes God is quieter than we would like. But sometimes he has a many splendored way of answering that prayer. Have you ever had a visitation from the Lord? You have? You want to say a couple words about it? No? Anybody? Usually these are very personal times of meeting God. And over the years, I've heard ABCers talk about a billboard, like leaping out to them, telling them something that was a message from God or a sign or reading a verse in the Bible. Or while driving in the car, several people have heard the Lord while driving in a car. People have heard him speak to them, not in a physical voice, but they've heard that. And I, I believe in God that God is with us all the time. He is here right now because he said he was going to be. Jesus promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So we are never out of his sight line or his care. God is present whether I feel it or not. But occasionally God's presence comes close to me in a different way in a noticeably different way. And it's a very subjective thing. And if I was to tell that to other, pe person, other people, they could easily say, well, that's just a coincidence. You know, it's very subjective. But we know when God has visited us personally. And one thing I've noticed about those encounters is that we want them far more often than they happen. What is it that we are asking for when we ask God to visit us? Probably not what's going to happen in our passage today. We are reading in Isaiah chapter 6. We're starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is filled of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called in the house filled with smoke. In the year that King Uzziah died, the seven first words of this chapter are about an earthly king. And it's followed by a paragraph that tries its very best to describe the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the King of the universe, sovereign of unlimited reign and power. The contrast could not be greater. Dead King, Lord of glory. Can you almost see it? The immensity of God sitting high and lofty on a throne so massive that the only part of God that fits inside of that massive, gorgeous temple is the hem of his robe. That's the only thing that fits and is crowding out the front door. The Lord so commanding, so omnipresent, so immense that the whole earth is filled with his glory. And can't you almost see those six winged angelic beings who attend God, covering themselves with four wings, flying with two wings. Can you hear it? Can you hear the sound of their wings? I bet Isaiah could hear the whoosh. And then the sound of those seraphim calling out to each other, what did those voices sound like? So mighty a sound that it caused an earthquake. Can you feel the thundering? Sometimes when a thunder hits really close, you kind of can feel it inside of your chest. Can you feel the jolt? Can you smell the smoke? All human senses were assaulted by this presence of God. Is this what we ask for when we ask for the presence of God? I want to say yes. My heart wants to say yes for the awesome presence of God. The thrill of being so very close to his, to his glory. Isn't that our longing of our heart to worship God in full knowledge and awareness of who he is? But maybe that yes is tinged with a little thrill of fear as well because the full, heavy, direct, presence of God brings fear also. So we're not surprised at verse 5. And I, I said, this is Isaiah, and I said, woe is me. I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hmm. How quickly when we are in the presence of God, do our thoughts turn back to ourselves? Isaiah was standing there thunderstruck. I bet his mouth was open. How long did it take him to start processing the fact that he was right there at the threshold of the temp temple with God's robe squeezing out of it, noticing the, the hem at the door, 
and then lifting his eyes high and lofty to the throne of God, how long did it take for it to occur to him that this is a whole lot of untamed power and that he himself was in jeopardy? Once you start to think about yourself in the magnificent presence, you can't help but think about your survival. Is Isaiah going to survive this encounter with God? Is this what we ask for when we ask for the presence of God? An acute awareness of our inadequacy and our mortality. Do we really want to be aware of our sin? To know that we do not belong really in the presence of the holy God. Surely this is an uncomfortable standing before God. Verse 6, then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding out a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Now, I'm not so sure about the live coal touching my lips. Sounds like that would probably be painful, but it is worth it for the words of cleansing and forgiveness that come next. Surely forgiveness and grace are what we want when we stand in the presence of God. The place of standing where our sins have been removed from us, where our guilt is gone. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now there it is. That's our question for today. Because we're in a sermon series entitled The Bible, Our Question Book. And instead of looking at the Bible as a book of answers, we are examining some of the questions in the Bible, questions that don't always have easy answers, and we're asking ourselves the same demanding questions. So we're going to come back to our question. So let's continue reading. Um, then I heard the word, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Do you like those, those verses? Hmm. Those are alarming verses. Why would God send Isaiah to a people so that, so that they will not turn to God? Doesn't God want his messenger to do the opposite? To turn people toward God instead of away from him? This is a problematic passage. Verse 11, and then I said, how long, O Lord? This is a very common question in the Bible, and it's one we ask all the time as well. How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate, until the Lord sends everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. 
not quite the sending forth and triumphant power that Isaiah might have imagined when he came into the presence, the glory-filled presence of the Lord. Isaiah is being sent into failure and desolation. What do you think about this commissioning? Is this the presence of God that we ask for to be sent into failure? Well, people over the centuries have been so bothered by this passage that they have softened it. Maybe God really meant to describe the outcome of Isaiah's ministry, what actually happened when he preached to the people instead of ordering Isaiah to make it so. And then maybe Isaiah in a burnt out stage after speaking decades to these stubborn and hard hearted people, maybe Isaiah wrote down those words a little harder than they actually had to be. Maybe he disremembered his commissioning. A couple hundred years before Jesus was born, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It's really helpful for us to figure out what people were thinking or how they were translating things back then. And those translators were so bothered by this passage that they softened it. This is their translation. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. This people's heart has become calloused they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. And other translations have followed suit to sort of describe what happened instead of make it a, a, a prediction of what you need to do, of what you, Isaiah the prophet, need to make hap happen. But the harshness is original. And this is what we know about it. Isaiah was sent as a prophet to speak God's judgment to the people of Israel who failed the first commandment abysmally, the one that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that commandment, they failed with a big F. It's actually the hardest commandment uh, to follow. And um, we will not talk about our failure. Let's keep it about them. They had failed other ones too. And King Uzziah's death brought to an end an era of relative independence for Judah for the people of God and is Assyria was threatening to dominate and would indeed steamroll over God's people bring about the utter destruction that is predicted in verses 11 through 13 so the passage does actually describe what happened but what about that original sending forth sending Isaiah for the purpose of closing people's ears and eyes and mind well many people think that verses 9 and 10 are the judgment Two, that God tried so hard to get through to the people, but they refused to listen to him. So their judgment was they are not going to listen to him. They are going to reap what they have sown. I've given you so many chances. You don't want to listen. Okay, now I'm going to make you not listen. That's what they reap. That's judgment part one. And the desolation of the land was judgment part two. Think about it this way. Have you had a conversation with someone who is not interested in what you have to say and something that you are pass passionate about? Any political discussion these days will do and you are trying to express the truth of something that is important to you and it doesn't matter what you say, what words you use, what argument you muster, the other person 
is stubbornly holding their position and they don't seem to care. And you can tell by their body language that you are not getting through. It doesn't have to be politics, it can be health related, it can be diet related. It can be an older, more experienced person trying to spare a younger person some hard consequences. Don't take that path. It only leads to misery. Learn from my mistakes. How many parents have told their teenagers that? Last week, I witnessed my husband telling someone about a safety issue, which honestly was the first thing I noticed when we walked into that public place. And the other man heard Robert because he was standing right next to Robert, but it didn't look like it was sinking in. So Robert said, you know you're going to be sued over this if someone hurts themselves. And the man said, oh, I've already been sued, and I dealt with that man right quick. So Robert tried a third time. And the man nodded, but he wasn't making eye contact. And we both understood that the message had fa really failed to meet its intended result. You can tell someone the truth all day long, but they have to be receptive to it for, in order for them to appropriate it. God's people had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hear God. They refused to listen. Okay, if that's the way it's going to be, so be it. You made this bed for yourselves, now you lie in it. Now, if someone is listening to Isaiah, reading along in that passage, and if someone was actually hearing him and was stricken to the heart, by those words of judgment. If anyone catches their breath and feels the sadness of that passage at the thought of being turned away from God, those words of judgment do not apply to them because they have heard and they have understood and they have turned to God and God is not gonna turn his back on those people. No, those words were for people who said, whatever, Isaiah, blah, 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 blah. Those people had tuned out a long time ago, so they will be judged. How pertinent are these words of judgment to our society today? Isaiah might as well have been writing to us. Oh, he is. What a tremendous passage. There's so much to unpack there, but I want to return to our question of the day. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I want to impress upon you both the honor and the incongruity of that question. Isaiah's vision was really the scene of a Middle Eastern throne room of a king. Isaiah is in the very outer ring of accessibility, outside the temple door, at the edge of God's hem, peeping in. The seraphim are all attending God, all worshiping him. And when God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us, none of the heavenly beings spoke up. Not a one of them lifted their wing to say, I will. They had superfluous wings. They didn't need them all to fly. They knew how to worship God much better than we do. Wouldn't any one of them, any heavenly being, do a better job than Isaiah? And yet God asks a question, not of them, but for the one human looking on. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
Now Isaiah was a prophet with a specific difficult task of speaking God's judgment on the people of Israel, but I think the question belongs to us, to ordinary you and me. We come together every Sunday to meet God. We worship him to the best of our ability. And then we go out there, out into the world. Every worship service is a commissioning from God to take what we have and go out there into the world. We go from worship to a world where wrong seems to have the upper hand. We go into a world where Christians have a bad name, and maybe rightly so, maybe much deserved. We go into a world where the judgment of verses 9 and 10 ring with truth and alarm. And I feel that God is asking us every worship service, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is not a question for the pastors. It's not a question just for the missionaries because they're not gonna go into your neighborhood, into your places of work, into your schools. God is asking the youth of this church, the elders of this church, the young adults of this church, the overworked, tired parents of this church, the busy people of this church, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who, me? What if I fail? Oh, Isaiah failed on a much grander, grander level than you ever will fail. Who, me? What if people reject me? Well, they probably will. Who, me? Fill in the blank. I'm too fill in the blank. Listen, look, comprehend the word of the Lord. You, yes, you, will you go for me? Let's bow our heads. Precious God, we do ask for your presence. We need your presence in our lives. We need that comfort. We need to be wrapped in love. We need the encouragement of your presence, but we also need the challenge of your presence that you believe we are worthy enough to go for you, to be sent by you. We also need that challenge in our lives. So help us, God, to say yes to your commissioning for us. Strengthen us, empower us, cleanse us, Lord. Oh, we need your forgiveness. We need your grace. And send us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.